Hey, Soma. Howdy. Good to see you. Let's pray. Uh, Father, oh, some of us might have oh, just a million things in our heads right now, and I don't know, but uh, the worries that we all carry, the problems, the issues, the challenges that we might be wrestling with, uh, the concerns, the fears. I pray, pray, Father, that the word of Jesus Christ would outshine all of those things this morning and that it, your word would come so powerfully and break through all that distracts us, all that hinders us, all that gets in the way, Father, that you would speak to us through your spirit that we would hear, and that we would hear clearly, and that we would understand, and that your word, your seed would go deep into our whole, whole lives, that you would give us grace, that your spirit would convict and enlighten and help us, Father. And we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Yeah, we're looking at the parable of the sower today, Mark, 1 to, Mark 4, 1 to 20. Um, in this series, we've seen that Mark writes with rapid intensity and uh, he goes from scene to scene to scene and it seems like there's such a buzz around Jesus and things are happening so quickly with Jesus. It's so exciting and we uh, see all sorts of crowds coming around him. Uh, there are crowds from all over Israel. We're told in chapter 3 that they're coming from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, uh, across the Jordan River, up north in Tyre and Sidon. In other words, all of Israel, people from all over Israel are coming to Capernaum, to the Sea of Galilee, to hear Jesus. Jesus has been hanging around in this area of Galilee near Capernaum all this time in Mark's Gospel. That's where he's been. But people are coming from all over Israel to hear him. And the crowds are dangerously dense. They're threatening to crush him. They want to touch him. They're bringing their sick to him. There are all kinds of people who are speaking against him. Demons are crying out. You are the son of God and it's just crazy. And so Jesus says to his disciples, hey, row a boat beside the Sea of Galilee so that if the crowds get so crazy, I can jump into the boat. So the disciples become kind of bodyguards who are protecting Jesus. And that's what happens here in chapter 4. They get Jesus into a boat. The crowds are so large and he starts teaching them from this boat. So chapter 4 verse 1, again Jesus began to teach by the lake, which is the Sea of Galilee. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. And while all the people were along the shore uh, of the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen. So he shares now the, the parable of the sower. So Jesus is teaching now from a boat, massive crowds, and he's teaching them now in his favourite way, which is through parables, and he tells the most famous parable of all, the parable of the sower. And this is the parable that unlocks all other parables, because verse 13, 13 Jesus says, if you can't understand this parable, you can't understand any of the parables that I teach. So this is the key parable, and we better understand it, it's important to understand this parable because Jesus says, listen. He starts with listen. He ends with, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. I want you to get this, guys. 
This is so crucial to your understanding of me and the kingdom of God. So let's look at this parable this morning under three headings. The point of the parable, the power of the seed and the importance of responding. The point of the parable, the power of the seed and the importance of responding. Firstly, the point of the parable. Jesus says, verse 3, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And you know the story, birds took some of the seeds, some fell on rocky soil and it withered, some was choked out by the weeds. But then there was some soil that produced a wonderfully huge crop. What is Jesus saying? To understand this, we need to unpack the context here. What is Jesus referring to? What's the background to him saying this? It's in chapter 3. We saw there in chapter 3 that the unbelief and rejection of Jesus is getting into massive proportions. The religious leaders are working with the secular leaders to now kill Jesus. They're saying he's doing things in the power of Satan. Hey, what you're doing is in is using satanic power. His family come in chapter 3 to try and take him home because they think he's out of his mind. So we have the background of chapter 3 that there's this kind of blatant rejection of Jesus. People speaking out now very blatantly against him. There are, however, just a few people sitting around Jesus, hanging on his every word, a few disciples. So that's the context of this parable. And many people think he's crazy. Many people think he's demonic. But some are beginning to believe. So Jesus tells this parable. And he says, I'm bringing in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is preaching the word, the gospel word. And in this parable, Jesus likens his word to a seed. And he's saying, every time I preach, every time I heal someone, every time I advance the kingdom, it's like a seed. What are you doing with the seed? He's hoping the seed will take root in our lives. But most people, most hearts reject the seed. Most hearts say, I want nothing to do with it. Even the landscape. Look at the physical situation as Jesus teaches. The landscape is showing the parable in action. Jesus is sitting on a boat teaching. He's sowing seeds from this boat And the people are on the land, they're on the soil. And Mark uses the same word soil to refer to these people as Jesus uses in the parable. Jesus is on the sea, the people are on the soil. And the way Mark writes this in the original language is a bit awkward. He says literally, Jesus was sitting on the sea. Now, this is an allusion to Psalm 29, which says the Lord sits enthroned over the waters. So what's happening in this landscape is Jesus is the Lord enthroned over the waters, sowing seeds of his word on the soil of people's hearts. And the point is, how are you responding? How are we responding? to this gospel word of Jesus, this seed. What are we doing about it? That's the punch of the parable. That's the point of the parable, which is often missed. Commentator Donald English says, the point of the parable is to encourage serious, persistent, perceptive faith. Serious, because 
Jesus is now the in thing in a sense. Crowds beget crowds. There are massive crowds because of his healings, because of his exorcisms, and because of the controversy. And there's such a buzz around Jesus that Jesus says, no, listen, you know. Uh, when I see a busker somewhere and there's this huge, huge crowd around the busker, I want to go and see what's going on. And I think that's what these crowds are doing. They're coming, oh, we want to see what's going on here. But they're not really listening to what Jesus is saying. They're not serious about understanding. Jesus tells this parable so that we will be serious. Secondly, that we will be persistent. He doesn't want casual, half-hearted listeners who give up too easily. He wants us to work at what he's saying and to continue to work at it. Do you ever feel like in a sermon, like perhaps right now, you have to really concentrate and you have to really wrestle with what God is saying? Jesus doesn't want us to be half listening. He wants us fully engaged. He wants us to really hear. And lastly, he wants us to be perceptive. He wants us to listen and see more than skin deep. His parables have a surface level, which is just ordinary life, right? But the the parables are, are about a deeper spiritual truth. Jesus wants us to perceive the deeper spiritual truth. He wants us to delve deeper. He wants us to think. He wants us to ask questions. He wants us to understand the depth of what he's saying. And isn't that the point of a seed? A seed needs to go in deep. It needs to be planted in deep soil. If a seed is just simply on the surface, it doesn't work. A seed going in deep is how it produces life. And that's what Jesus is saying. Receive my seed deeply and you will be given life. And that's exactly what some of the people who hear this parable do. They actually go and ask Jesus questions. So verse verse 10. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. They asked him, okay, what 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 does this mean? And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. And then he goes on to explain the parable to these disciples who have gathered around him. But this is a really troubling verse, that they may be seeing but never perceiving. What? What? I thought Jesus was telling these parables so that people could indeed hear and understand. He is telling them so that we will hear and understand. That is, he's telling these parables so that those who have listening ears will understand and will be saved. He wants everyone with faith to understand. He wants everyone who is desperately wanting to understand what Jesus is saying to them. He wants them to understand and receive life. Whoever listens with the ears of faith, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. But those who don't really care, who don't really want to know, Jesus tells the parable and they're, well, whatever, and they just move on and and it just washes off them. They don't understand. But those who hang on every word that Jesus says, um, they're the ones 
who ask, who seek, who question and who go deeper. They listen, they persist and they see and come to be saved. So that's the point of the parable, that we may really listen and so be saved. Secondly, the power of the seed. Look at verse 14, the farmer sows the word. So Jesus likens his word to a seed. Think about it. Of all the things Jesus could have compared his word to, why does he compare his word to seed? Jeremiah 23 says the word of God is a fire and a hammer. It would have been cool if Jesus had said, my my word is like a fire and a hammer. (laughs) Or he could have said, my word has come to consume and to crush people. But he doesn't. He says, no, my word is like a simple, tiny seed. Actually, that the Messiah would come and bring the hammer, bring the fire, that he would come and consume and destroy, that's what the Jews were expecting. One of the key Messiah passages in the Old Testament is Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel interprets a dream from the powerful king Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar dreamt about this huge statue and this statue was made of all these different metals from greater to lesser. The head was gold and then silver, bronze, iron and feet of clay. And what really troubled Nebuchadnezzar was at the end of the dream he saw a stone coming out of heaven and it struck the feet of this statue and crushed the entire statue to powder like chaff and the wind blew it all away and there was no trace of this statue left. And this stone from heaven grew and grew and became this mountain that filled the entire world. And then Nebuchadnezzar woke up. That was the dream and Daniel interprets it. He says, this image represents the kingdoms of man and Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is the head of gold and then other kingdoms come, one after the other, powerful but not as strong. And this is what Daniel says about the huge stone out of heaven. Verse 44 of Daniel 2. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it will itself endure forever. And this is what everybody is waiting for. They're waiting for the Messiah to bring the hammer, to bring the fire, to bring the stone from heaven which will grind to powder all the kingdoms of men. But Jesus doesn't come this way. Jesus comes subversively. His kingdom comes so differently, so grassroots that his family thinks he's crazy and the religious leaders think he's satanic. His kingdom is so different to anything anyone was expecting. So different that he has to explain what he's saying through stories and metaphors, through parables. And it's like the only way we can understand this kingdom of God that Jesus brings is by trusting Jesus, by listening carefully to his parables, 
by asking him questions and by wrestling with what he says because it doesn't make sense. It's not what anyone would have expected. And Jesus uses the most fragile and vulnerable, yet the most complex and powerful metaphor to describe the inbreaking kingdom of God. He says it's like a little seed. It's not a hammer, it's not a fire, it's not a stone, it's a seed. The inbreaking kingdom of God in our lives is a seed. The gospel word that Jesus is preaching and embodying is a seed, a fragile, tiny, vulnerable seed planted in each of us. Why a seed? Because a seed contains the power of life and brings life only after it's been buried in good soil. Have you ever wondered why Christianity hasn't taken off for you? Maybe Jesus just hasn't been that big a deal for you. It could be that you're trying to do all these external things, but really the seed needs to go in and it needs to go in deep. And it will take quite a while for that seed to emerge and for that life to come up and break ground and produce fruit. I remember doing a little experiment uh, in primary school. You probably did it as well, where you, you planted a seed and then you had to wait for the seed to come up. Pretty simple experiment. Uh, and the teacher kept saying, just be patient. Wait for the seed. It will break ground. Don't worry. And, you know, well, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Finally, so frustrated that I dig the seed out to see whether it's actually doing anything. <laughs> did you do that? <laughs> no? And the teacher's like, no, just wait. It takes time. Just let the seed do its work. And this is what is the case. Um, we think, I prayed, I asked God, and nothing's changing. But the gospel word needs to go in deep. It will change you from the inside out. And that takes time. It's gradual, but it brings life from within. That's why Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a seed, a subversive, little, planted seed. You can bury other objects in the ground, but they won't grow. <laughs> you can bury coins, you can bury rocks, you can bury people in the ground, but they won't grow. Uh, they're not made to. You can put a coin in the ground, you can put all the sunlight and all the rain and all the good soil around it, and it will not grow. <laughs> but this seed grows. This seed has the power of organic life. Nothing else contains the power of renewal like a seed does. And this is why Jesus says this word is a seed. His word has the power to bring life to his hearers. It's a, an organic life planted in you, in your soul, to bring the power of life. James chapter 1 says he chose to give us birth through the word of truth Therefore, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. The word going deep is able to save your souls. Jesus is sowing the life of God. That's what he's doing. That's what the inbreaking kingdom is about. It's the life of God being birthed in us. And think about it. Every seed has an almost infinite potential for life. Think about the power of the seed. A single seed 
can produce an entire forest. An entire forest is, in, is potentially in that little seed. The gospel word of Jesus is a seed. And what Jesus is doing is he's replanting Israel and replanting the whole world to bring a worldwide forest and renewal of the whole creation. Isaiah chapter 55. Now that's like the rock that smashes the kingdoms of this world and grows into this mountain that fills the whole world. So that's right. What Daniel said was right. But how does that happen? Gradually, gently, through the life-giving word of God planted and growing and growing until the world comes alive again and the kingdom of God fills the whole creation. But it has to go into the depths of our soul in order to bring about life and bear fruit. Also, we have to be very careful. The seed has the power for infinite and eternal life, but it can easily be snatched away. What's so troubling about this parable is the vulnerability of the seed. I mean, this seed is powerful, but it's so vulnerable. The farmer throws it out, a bird snatches it away. It's gone. He throws it on shallow soil uh, and it gets scorched by the sun. He throws it and the weeds choke out the seed. It's vulnerable, this seed. That's what's so troubling. When the seed goes out, it takes root, but sometimes it just gets choked out, says Jesus. And so we need to be so careful how we listen, how we receive the seed. The seed has the power of infinite and eternal life, but Satan can snatch it away. It can be scorched or choked out. So this is the warning. So let's look at, thirdly, the importance of responding. So in verses 14 to 20, Jesus highlights different people's hearts. And as a teacher of the Bible, I've got to say, as I kind of pray about the sermon coming up for the week, this little time when, when Jesus is sowing his seed among us, and I, I have this kind of, there's this weightiness about the burdens that people bring in when they come in to hear the word of God, uh, the issues in people's hearts. People come and sit here or sit in churches across the mountains or across Sydney or across the world and they bring in so much baggage, so many things are going on in their heads and sometimes it's hard to even hear a sermon. I mean, firstly, most of us have, a lot of us have ADD, thanks to Sesame Street, I have to say. Um, and a lot of us have so much worry, don't we? So much doubt, so much stuff. It's like, Dave, could you just get me through this week, through this sermon? Or Dave, could you just get me through today? That would, that would be great because I just feel the weight of so many things on me. Um, so many people come to hear the word of God, whether it's 2,000 years ago or across the world today. And they've got so many problems. 
Like there are people gathering rooms like ours who are thinking about killing themselves, maybe even planning how they'll do it. There are people who are under so much pressure from life or work that they feel they're going to be crushed by that pressure. There are people who can't wait to spend another exciting night with somebody they don't know. That rush of excitement they get when they realise this thing with this person might progress exactly the way I want it to. And they're willing to go there even though they'll feel cheap and empty later. But the rush is undeniable and they're consumed by that rush. And there are people who are thinking, was taking the job I have a mistake? Was moving to where I live a mistake? Was the person I married a mistake? Were the last two, three, four, five, six, ten years a mistake? What am I doing in my life? And people wonder what their life is even about. And there are people who just want to move to the next thing today because that's Sunday lunch and here sitting in a sermon. I don't know. They just don't. They just want to eat lunch. And so rooms like this are filled with all these different types of people. And this is exactly what Jesus' parable is about. Jesus is on the sea, these people are on the soil, and he's sowing his life and his words into all these people. And many people, three out of the four soils, reject the word. They reject the seed and it doesn't survive in them because of all the stuff that they've got going on in their heads and in their hearts and in their lives. And this is exactly what Jesus is illustrating. Verse 15, there are people who never let the gospel penetrate their hearts. It just bounces off. The seed of the word of God just lays on the surface and Satan comes like a seagull. It's gone. They're like, well, Jesus can't really help me. and Well, that Jesus guy, whatever. And, And they've moved on and that's it. Satan has taken it away. Well, verse 16, there are people who get really excited about the gospel. They're excited about Jesus. And for a brief moment, they think, Jesus can help me. And there's joy, but there's no repentance. There's no sorrow. There's no shame for their sin or grief or repentance. It's a shallow response. And Jesus becomes an accessory to make their life look or feel better. But there's no brokenness. There's no nakedness before God. And Jesus says, these people are like seed that falls on rocky soil. The seed springs up fast... But because the seed has no real root, at the first hint of of difficulty, the seed is scorched. Or when Jesus gets in the way of their goals or their fun, the seed dies. Or verse 18, there's a third group of people who have good soil, but it's overgrown with weeds. It's overgrown with worry and desire and career and money. And trying to find the right somebody or trying to be the right somebody or trying to be a free spirit or trying to be self-expressive or trying to get into this other group or whatever it is to the point that the gospel seed never has a chance. It's just completely choked out by all these other concerns. And these concerns strangle the seed to death and and they can't breathe and they die spiritually. But then there's the good soil. He produces an absolutely wonderful, massive crop, 30, 60, or 100-fold. 
What's going on here? Three out of the four soils reject the gospel. Do you see how powerful this seed is, but how vulnerable it is? Do you guys get that? How easily it's gone. This thing that can absolutely bring life, it's just so fragile in our lives. It can be crushed, choked out, scorched. And the point is the gospel needs to go deep in our lives. The gospel needs to be rooted deep, to be pushed down. We need to receive it deeply and for deep roots to go down in order for the gospel to bear fruit in our lives. At the beginning, we talked about the point or the punch of the parable. Why is Jesus telling this story? The point of the parable is, how are you responding to Jesus? You know, Jesus is lavishly sowing. He's wasting soil uh, seed, you could say, because he's, he's sowing seed on hard soil, on rocky places, on thorny soil. It's like he's indiscriminate. It's like you could argue that he's not economical with how he's sowing his seed. You know, he's sowing seed all across the Blue Mountains, all across Penrith, all across Sydney, lavishly loving us, sowing the seed week after week, Sunday after Sunday, every day. The seed, the seed is sown. Jesus, through his worldwide church, sowing and sowing and sowing all over. And the point is, what are you doing with the seed? Are you responding? It doesn't come like a fire. You can miss it. It doesn't come like a hammer. You can think it's nothing. It doesn't come like a stone that crushes the kingdoms of the world to smithereens. It's just this little seed. So so easy to overlook. So easy to not take it absolutely seriously. Jesus says, take it absolutely seriously. This is the word of life. Not just life in this world, but life forever in the new creation. Guard that seed. Listen well. Spend your life persisting in exploring what it means for you. Let it go deep into your worries, into your desires, into your anxieties, into your concerns, your burdens, your distractions. Let the seed go deeper than those things. Guard it. Love it. Treasure it. The precious, precious, precious seed of eternal life. And Jesus' own life is like a seed. In John chapter 12, he says that unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot produce life. And Jesus is talking about his own life. Jesus himself has to be vulnerable, open to the fists of men, open to the beatings, the torture, and to death itself. And he himself is a fragile vulnerable seed. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, not with perishable things 
but with the precious blood of Christ. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. He does not come like a fire, like a hammer and like a stone. He comes like a seed. This is the secret of the kingdom of God. May God bless you if you see that with eternal life. Let's pray. Father, these words, until they bury, until you bury them deep in our souls, they're just not going <laughs> to, they're going to do nothing. Uh, you need, Father, to transform our hearts to, to bear fruit because we receive this word. May faith rise up in this place and that we will all believe and that we would receive it so deeply that our whole lives will be changed. And we ask that anybody here this morning with baggage or issues, stresses, desires, distractions, alternative voices that call them away, idols, incredibly powerful things that are tempting them, that are taking them from your precious word that you would give us all eyes to see that this this tiny seed is the very essence of your power it's the way you do it so subtle but so enormous and even this sermon now which just seems so 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 Nothing, I guess, and a guy preaching from the front doesn't seem like anything. And yet, that we would see the whole power of heaven in this word this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.